All right, dudes, Pastor Mark here, welcoming you to join me for Real Men Wednesday nights live here at Trinity Church in Scottsdale or online at realfaith.com. We'll try and post it elsewhere, but they're going to ban me because I'm in the middle of a special sermon series called Act Like a Man. If you are offended by that, you need to watch it twice because you need a lot of work. In each sermon, I'll go through the reasons why God made men, why it's good to be a man, and how to be a man that is a blessing to women and children like Jesus Christ, the God-man, who is our perfect example. Uh, this is going to be a fun time. It's going to be super theological, super practical, and as always, you'll get a bit of comedy. So dudes, grab a Bible, grab a notebook, put your belt on, show up, get it together. See you on Wednesday. All right, best night of the week, best guys in the world. Welcome to Real Men. Uh, Pastor Mark here. This week is a little bit different. I'm pre-recording and I'll tell you why. And if you think about it, be in prayer. Uh, we've got some pastors in from all over the country in partnership with our friends at XO Marriage. They, uh, they published the Real Romance book from Grace and I. They put out our weekly uh, Real Marriage podcast. And Pastors are struggling. Most reports say that between 38 to 50% of pastors, depending upon what survey you believe, are really discouraged looking at quitting and leaving ministry altogether. And so we're bringing pastors in from around the country for a private uh, retreat. They're bringing their wives here to Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, Pastor Jimmy Evans, one of uh, my overseers and pastors is teaching. And Grace and I are there this week with those pastors, hosting them in our great hometown of Scottsdale. And a lot of these are pastors of large churches and or pastors with whole networks. And so these are pastors that are pastoring pastors. We love pastors, their families, their marriages, their churches, their networks, their denominations and their ministries. So we're there serving, connecting, trying to bless and encourage. So I'm sad not to be with you live, uh, but I'm with you in spirit. And we're gonna continue in our series, Spiritual Disciplines for Regular Guys. And if you missed the first week, the big idea is, as men, we pour out all the time. Just think of your life. It's an outpouring of time and energy and money and encouragement and service and sacrifice. And unless someone pours into you, eventually you're just going to burn out and you're gonna break down and you're gonna run out of the ability to do the things that God has called you to do and to lead and to love the people that God has given you to love and to lead. So the big idea is that the spiritual disciplines are how God the Father pours into us as his sons so that then we can pour out as men into the lives that he's called us to. And so this week we'll deal with silence, which is how God pours into us and speaking, and that is how we pour out to others. And uh, as we get into uh, silence and speaking, we live in this really unique time in the history of the world. This is the most difficult time in world history to actually get alone and to practice some silence. If you think about it, uh, there was a day before electricity, which seems hard to even conceive of, but the sun would go down, guys would leave work and go home. Uh, they would head into their house, they'd stoke a fire, they'd light a candle, eat dinner, spend some time with family and go to bed. And it was quiet. Men tended to live on acres. So you had land and no neighbors. Conversely today, uh, you're at work all day. It's just noise. There's no, there's no silence. There's no solitude. You jump in your car, well, there are speakers and a screen. Constantly in our pocket is a speaker and screen. 
Uh, you are in traffic, it's a bunch of people hitting their horns and making noise. You get home, maybe you live in an apartment, maybe you live in a condo or a townhome or a dormitory. There's people all around you, it's total constant noise. Um, even if you live in a house, the neighbors are just literally sometimes an arm's reach away and you could hear everything that they are doing and their dog that is barking. You go into your home, how many screens do you have in your home? How many um, speakers do you have in your home? How much technology is there? How much constant noise and interaction is there? And if that's not enough, you could just take your uh, headphones, your earbuds, you can plug them into your ears, you can go into a parallel universe. And it is now possible to live your entire life with ever, without ever experiencing really any extended period of silence. And, uh, and the result is mental health, brokenness, depression, anxiety, none of the indicators for how people are doing as our world gets busier and louder indicates that people are getting healthier and better. And so what we're gonna talk about is uh, silence and then speaking and kind of the root scripture for our time together is Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one and seven. And he says this, uh, Solomon does, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And here's the big idea, a time to keep silent or a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Those are the two things we're gonna talk about today, silence and speaking and knowing that you need time for each and you need to know when it is time to be quiet and when it is time to say something. And so I'll start with silence and then we'll get into speaking. Silence is really a form of fasting. We fast from food where we don't eat. Maybe we fast from work, that's called a Sabbath day or a day off. Uh, maybe we fast from some things that we enjoy. Sometimes people will do this with like alcohol or dessert or entertainment forms to sort of give their body, their mind, their soul a break. Uh, silence is how we fast from noise and it allows us to sort of quiet our heart and our mind. And so what God tends to do, he tends to pour into us in moments of silence and then we could pour out to others by speaking what God has spoken to us. So I'm gonna give you a scripture and it's in 1 Kings and it relates to this man named uh, Elijah. I'll explain all this in a moment. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13, God says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. It's like a hurricane, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, loud, powerful, dramatic ways that God had spoken in the past. Previously in Revelation history, God in the Old Testament, he did speak through strong winds and through earthquakes, but not this time. And after the earthquake, a fire, profound, dramatic. God had spoken previously in a fire, including leading God's children out of slavery by a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a, a low whisper, some translations will use a gentle whisper or a quiet whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He knew that this was the voice of God and he was in the presence of God. And he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice to him and then God speaks to him. Give me the context of 1 Kings 19. Uh, the context is that there is a succession of godless, demonic, evil, horrific, uh, reprehensible kings in the nation of Israel. 
I'm studying Elijah right now, and we're gonna start a, uh, a series on Elijah that'll start in March and go March, April, May, June. So I'm deep into Elijah right now. And so what happens is the, the nation is in decline. No one is listening to the Lord. God has been speaking to his people for generations. No one is listening and no one is obeying. And as a result, there is a deterioration in the nation and there is judgment on people, including God's people. And this kingdom is led by a godless man named Ahab and his demonic wife, Jezebel. Working behind them are the Ahab spirits and the Jezebel spirit. The Ahab spirit is passive and the Jezebel spirit is controlling. And we're gonna get into all of this and it'll be a mind melt for you men. But the Ahab spirit causes men to become passive, fear of conflict, inactive. Um, and, and as a result, it opens the door for the controlling Jezebel spirit to take over and to do evil. And so this is a classic case of a passive husband and a controlling wife, both of which are dominated by demonic spirits. Um, they had two gods that were primarily worshiped in the nation rather than the real God, Baal, who was a male demon, and um, also Asherah, who is a female demon. And literally this king and queen are the personification uh, of these demons. So Elijah was constantly listening to the Lord. The Lord would speak to Elijah, God would pour in, and then as a prophet, he would speak to Ahab the king and Jezebel the queen, and he would pour out. So Elijah's life is a case study in what we're studying, silence and speaking. The Lord speaks to you, you listen, and then you say what the Lord has given you to say. That's the function and the ministry of the prophet Elijah. Well, in the previous section, God told him to call a public showdown, kind of like the old West, you know, pull your guns at noon on the street and uh, one of us is gonna win and one of us is gonna lose. It was the public showdown between the real God and the false gods, between Elijah, the prophet of God, and the 850 false prophets of uh, Baal and Asherah that were funded by uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Well, uh, God won that victory and fire came down in one of the great moments of the Bible and consumed the sacrifice. And then Elijah slaughtered 850 prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah. And then Jezebel puts a bounty on his head and seeks to kill the prophet because the demonic spirit working through Jezebel is so strong. And I can't wait to get into this in a few months. Elijah is fearful, he's anxious. He literally runs for his life. He goes from his great victory to running for his life. That's how powerful this demonic spirit is. He flees about a hundred miles. He goes off into the wilderness, he lays down and he basically says, I just want to die. He's exhausted. Some of you men have been there, some of you are there. Physically exhausted, spiritually exhausted, mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know where to go. He is overwhelmed. He is fearful. He's retreating. He's hiding. He's running for his life. And God shows up to speak to him. And God doesn't speak in the ways that he had previously. And sometimes in our life, we get accustomed to God speaking to us in one way, and we wrongly assume or presume that that's the only way that he might speak to us. As it says, there was a fire, but God wasn't in a fire. There was an earthquake, but God wasn't in an earthquake. And also uh, there was strong, you know, torrential winds like a hurricane and God wasn't in them. 
but God came quietly. That's what it says. God came and whispered very, very gently to Elijah. And Elijah heard that. He realized that the Lord was present and that the Lord was speaking. And the result is that he humbles himself. He sort of hides himself and he listens. And if you read the remainder of this section, God tells him exactly what is happening, tells him exactly what to do, and tells him exactly what God will be doing. The point is this, I believe that God is often speaking and I believe that few people are listening. And I hear this from people all the time, like, well, God doesn't, you know, God's never really spoken to me. It's like, maybe he has, maybe he has a lot, but maybe he wasn't screaming and yelling like a fire, like an earthquake or like a hurricane. Maybe it was just a whisper and you weren't listening. You had your car radio on, you had your TV on, you had your headphones in, you were watching the game, you were talking on the phone, you weren't paying any attention. And it is possible that God is speaking and that no one is listening because in the nation of Israel at that time, God had been speaking for generations and no one was listening. That's why he raised up the prophet Elijah to be his mouthpiece and his spokesman so that God could speak in a new way, in a fresh way, in a prophetic way. And hopefully some people would open their ears and in the days of Elijah, they did. What if God is speaking and nobody is listening? I know there's times with my wife, Grace, where we'll be having a conversation and I'll look at her and she'll say, well, you know, we're doing this tonight or here's where we're going this weekend or so-and-so's coming over. And I'll look at her, I'll say, I didn't know that, you didn't tell me. She's like, I did tell you, but you weren't listening. I was like, that's true. I, I wonder if God doesn't feel like that often. Like he's speaking, nobody's listening. And as a result, we're like Elijah. We're anxious, we're fearful, we're overworked, we're stressed. We're running for our lives. We're discouraged. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We're pouring out all of our energy, but we're not stewarding it wisely. We need a word from God. So this is where silence becomes absolutely critical. Had Elijah in that moment, you know, had a phone been watching the game or had the earbuds in his ear, he wouldn't have heard that small whisper of God. But he, he went away, so he's having solitude, and we'll deal with this in a future week. And he's opening his ears to listen because his heart is open so that he could hear a word from the Lord. Had Elijah not been listening, what God was saying would not have been utilized by him. How, how are you at silence? Even, even as I teach, um, you get a room full of people just leave silence. For some people that's very awkward, that's very uncomfortable. For other people, it's very settling and it's very encouraging. There are some wonderful things that happen in silence that don't happen in noise. And here's some things that silence will help you with. It helps you wait. I don't know about you as a man, I'm very impatient. My favorite things are fast and faster. That's what I like. Um, and there are times where there's nothing to say and there's nothing to do because God needs to go before you and you just need to wait. And so what silence allows is, you know what? I'm not gonna say anything and I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna wait for the Lord to do his thing. In addition, it helps us to learn. Um, one of the things you can do if it's silent uh, you can actually pick up a book or even a book like the Bible and just start reading. 
And sometimes it's hard when there's a lot of noise. My wife needs it totally silent to study. And so for me, I study best in silence. I like going up to the woods. I will literally hike into the woods. Sometimes I'll bring uh, like a portable chair on my back and I'll bring a book or a Bible, highlighter and a pen. I'll just find a beautiful place in the woods and I'll just sit there all day and read my Bible or read a book just in total silence. All I can hear is, you know, the deer running around and the wind through the pine trees up in the mountains. And, I, and, and it clears my mind and my heart and my soul to learn. Sometimes silence helps you process a life experience. There are times to be sure when things happen and we need to verbal process and talk about it. And sometimes we don't, we just need to consider it. There's an incredible event in Revelation chapter eight, verse one, where <clears throat> the people in heaven, in the unseen realm, in the presence of God, this is angels and divine beings, as well as departed saints who are human beings, and it's almost like they have this unique vantage point of what is going on in the earth. So they're with the Lord in heaven and they're seeing what's going on in the earth. And then God shows up and does something incredible, unexpected. And it says this in Revelation 8.1, there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. God showed up and did something and everybody in heaven just was quiet and there's like, I just need 30 minutes to process what I just witnessed. There are times that things happen in your life, good and bad, positive and negative, And you just need some time to process. You're like, I gotta think about this. Like what just, what just happened? Like if your wife tells you, hey, I'm pregnant with our first child, you may need to just sit down for 30 minutes and just sort of process that. Um, your dad tells you he's got cancer, you may need to just sit down for 30 minutes and just process that or more. There are times in life where you don't wanna just say something and you don't wanna just do something, you gotta process so you know what to say and do. And that's what silence provides. Sometimes too, silence just helps you enjoy God's presence. You know what, I'm just gonna go, I, for me, I like being outside. I like going for walks, I like hikes. I like beautiful scenery. I like going off-road in my Bronco and just being in God's creation. And I just like turning off my phone and spending time with the Lord. In addition, uh, it allows you to journal. And we'll deal with this in a future session, but journaling is where you're just kind of thinking it through with the Lord, just kind of processing, okay? And it's silent. You're not talking to anyone, you're just processing. Sometimes this can be a wonderful thing in your life that you wanna remember. This can be a painful thing in your life that you need to process. This can be a decision in your life that you need to consider. I journal all the time. Sometimes it's good to rest. Silence is good to rest. Um, Jesus took a day off and so you should take a day off. And Jesus took naps, so you should take naps. Uh, God doesn't expect you to be any more productive than Jesus. And we live in a day when most people, quite frankly, they're overworked, they're underslept and there's too much noise and technology. We're on our phones up until late at night and we're being stimulated by screen time and it affects our sleep and our well-being. And sometimes just turning off all of your technology and cutting out the noise allows you to just relax and rest. Even non-Christians who don't understand the Holy Spirit or the presence of God will just talk about the importance of silence to just settle the soul and to calm the body. And sometimes it's good to take a nap. 
And sometimes what silence does, it just helps you prepare. Maybe you're coming into a big season of life, big decisions, something big on the horizon, and you need to withdraw, have silence, so that God can prepare you for what comes next. In the storyline of Jesus, before he uh, launched his public ministry, he spent 40 days in silence. Literally just withdrew and retreated. He didn't talk to anybody and nobody talked to him. 40 days of silence to prepare him for a public ministry that included preaching and teaching. And some people will ask, well, Jesus was an itinerant. He didn't get, it wasn't like church where every Sunday he had a sermon and he had a schedule and he had an office and he had an assistant. How did Jesus prep all those messages? I think he may have prepped a large percentage of them in 40 days of silence, listening and preparing what he was to be speaking and preaching. And then lastly, um, this may be one of the most important, if not the most important, silence helps you practice listening prayer. Prayer is not only speaking to God, but it's listening to God. In any relationship, everyone will tell you communication is essential. Communication is you speak and you listen when they speak. That's the key to a relationship. And listening prayer is where you are silent and you are waiting for God to speak to you. Again, back to the story of Elijah, this is exactly what happens. He is silent and he is listening and God is speaking. And so Satan doesn't, and demons don't know your thoughts. Satan and demons aren't all knowing. Uh, God's attribute would be omniscient that he is all knowing. Satan and demons aren't. And so they can read our body language and they could sort of read our facial expressions or, or they could see whether we're agitated or relaxed or stressed, but they can't know our thoughts. God knows your thoughts. God knows the thoughts of your mind and the inclination of your heart. And so what that means is when you're silent, it's like opening a private, uh, secure communication channel to God. If you're saying out loud, God can hear it, and so can Satan and demons if they happen to be around. If you're only saying it in your heart and your mind, God knows it, and no one else can hear it. In addition to God being able to know your thoughts and read your mind, so too God can send thoughts into your mind and desires into your heart. That's what listening prayer is. And sometimes God will show up and speak in a supernatural way. We see in the Bible, sometimes it's an audible voice or uh, an angel shows up or um, something supernatural happens or there's a dream when you're asleep or there's a vision when you're awake or oftentimes God just speaks through his word and applies it specifically. Sometimes God speaks through someone else who loves and serves him and they become the messenger of that message. But sometimes God just brings a thought to mind or he confirms something in your soul. And uh, what happens when you get time for listening prayer, it's amazing how your mind clears and your heart clears and your soul clears and God's will becomes clear as well. Uh, when my kids were little, they had a decision to make or something they were processing. I tried not to always tell them what to do, but to say, well, have you talked to the Lord about this? Have you prayed? Have you gotten some solitude, some silence? Has God laid anything on your heart? What are you thinking? How are you processing this? I wanted them to learn to hear from the Lord. And I wanted my children to obey me, but more importantly, I wanted them to know that they had a father in heaven who loved them as well and was available and would speak to them. 
And it was amazing because my kids would come back and they'd say, well, I was thinking about it or I was praying about it or, you know, I just was outside on a swing and, you know, I started thinking about this and I'm wondering if those thoughts weren't from the Lord and is the Lord speaking to me? And I'd help them process that. Yeah, that was the Lord. You heard from the Lord. Now the Lord is talking to you. Now we're gonna work with that and you're gonna act on that. I've had some profound, and what I find is I need more time listening than I do speaking to be a Bible teacher. So I go for hikes every week, or I go for walks and drives, and I go up to the mountains and I like just silence. And God will bring to mind things and it helps me know what to say and how to lead. I had a few of these um, moments here not long ago. So some months ago, I, I was in a, solid, a silence period and sometimes I'll take 24, 48 hours of silence. Now that my kids are grown, that's possible. If you've got little kids, if you get 24 to 48 seconds of silence, you're doing really good. But uh, now that my kids are a little older, I'll go a whole day or two of total silence. And I'm just listening. And I'll do it while I'm hiking or walking or whatever, but I'm listening. It's an active presence. And uh, I started thinking some months ago about the issue of abortion. And it was uh, not yet, you know, the overturning of the Roe v. Wade situation, but... Um, I, I just felt in my spirit like that, that decision was coming. And so I started thinking about, well, if I was to explain abortion from a historical, biblical, philosophical, legal, moral standpoint, how would I do that? So I grabbed my laptop, total silence, and I just started typing everything that I was kind of thinking and processing. And I sat there for 14 hours. And when I was done, I had written about a 30,000 word book called Abort Abortion and tried to give it away. And got banned on all the social media platforms. And so, you know, we did the best we could, but it was literally just listening for 14 hours. I didn't know in that morning I was gonna write a book and I did in 14 hours, just by listening. Didn't have an outline, didn't know, but it all came together. I had that recently as well with Elijah. I sat down in silence. I took a whole day of silence to walk and to hike and to just spend time with the Lord and and then I, I was studying Elijah and I thought, okay, I'm gonna sit down and write a study guide. So I sat down and it turned into a 68,000 word book that I just finished on the life of Elijah and the Jezebel spirit and the Ahab spirit and what's going on in culture and, and a lot of connections that I had never even thought of. And I'll, I'll teach you the series. We'll get into the book of Elijah. Things I had never even heard or thought of. And then God just brought them to mind. And next thing you know, I have an accidental book that I'll give to you here shortly on Elijah. You just never know what's gonna happen when you meet with the Lord. And not every time is you know, great download and clarity and God shows up, but I think God is speaking a lot more than we are listening. And so we're gonna transition from silence to speaking. And sometimes the best thing you can do before you talk to them is listen to him. Before you have that fight with your wife, have that discussion with your heavenly father. Before you make that big decision, listen a lot to see what your dad has to say. And so we'll deal with one text here, James 3. And James uses these amazing analogies for our tongue and the words that we speak. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds yet they are guided by a very small rudder. He says, in addition, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire for every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed. It's incredible what we see at the zoo and what people can keep as pets and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. 
What he's saying is that sometimes it's the little things that actually cause the big things. He uses the analogy of a bit in a horse's mouth. If you look at a giant, you know, majestic, strong horse, the fact that it's controlled by a very small bit is really interesting. If you were to look at that horse, you would not assume that something so small could control and direct something so large, but that's what a bit does. He also uses the analogy of a rudder. You go to a gigantic ship and the entire ship is controlled and driven by a very small rudder. In addition, he says, you know, if you look at a massive raging forest fire, it usually started with just one little spark. This is why when you go camping, they want you to dead out your campground because even a few embers can burn down an entire national forest. And what he's saying is that the tongue is like that. It's not big, but it creates some big problems. And he's saying that controlling the tongue is as hard as breaking a wild horse or navigating a ship during a storm or trying to stop a wildfire once it's found dry tinder. That ultimately there's always going to be this battle to control our speech and our communication. And if we're honest, we all struggle with it and it is a fight and a battle. We've all said things that we wish we didn't say. We've all posted things we wish we wouldn't have posted. And we've all failed to say things that we wish we would have said, like, I love you. And what we see, according to the sociologist, the average woman speaks about 20,000 words a day the average man speaks about 7,000 words a day. Some of you guys are external, you're verbal, you're teachers, you're Walmart greeters, you're salesmen, you're highly relational. And so you may get more words in, but the truth is that most men speak less words than women. But then start to think of this. In addition to the words that you speak, what are all the other ways that we communicate? And that would be inclusive of our speech. All the emails you send, all the contracts that you send or sign in business, all of the tweets or Facebook posts or Instagram posts or TikTok posts or YouTube posts or online social media comments or texts or phone calls or FaceTimes or Zoom meetings. You just start to look at technology. And what we have is we have more communication than at any point in the history of the world. And I would say this, less listening. Everyone is speaking and no one is listening and very few are listening for the voice of God. If you wanna know more about speech and the tongue and investing your words rather than wasting your words, if I could give you one book of the Bible, it would be Proverbs. And if you just wanna read Proverbs, it's gonna talk about the tongue and speech and communication a lot. You can just highlight or circle those. Just read through Proverbs if you struggle with your tongue and I have. And I'll be honest that most men, we struggle with our tongue, we just do. And, uh, and Jesus says that we'll be judged for every word that we say, which is a terrifying thing. Jesus says that it's out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we say reveals how we feel and who we are. And so if there's a problem with what comes out, there's a problem with what's in. Uh, I've used the analogy before, but there's an old missionary named Amy Carmichael. And she says, you know, basically whatever's in is what comes out. She says, if there's pure water and I spill it, out comes pure water. If there's bitter water or defiled dirty water and I spill it, that's what comes out. What we say reveals a lot about what is going on inside of us. Why are you angry when you talk about that issue? Why are you scared when you talk about that issue? 
Why do you become defensive when you talk about that issue? Why do you boast about those things and that issue? What comes out reveals a lot of what's going on in here. And so it's an indication and it can help us to make some adjustments by God's grace. And I would say and submit to you that as men, this is a perennial struggle um, and it's usually generational. So there's a guy in the Bible, I was praying for you last night and this is, I was silent and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm throwing together a talk last minute because I got to pre-record. Is there anything I've missed? And I just sat in silence and then this came to mind and I believe it was from the Lord. In Isaiah chapter six, there's a guy named Isaiah. He's a believer like you guys. And uh, he, he doesn't seem to be a bad guy, pretty normal believer. And in Isaiah six, he comes into the presence of God and he sees the angels worshiping God and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I think in John 12, 41, John says that Isaiah saw Jesus and spoke of his glory, if my memory's correct. So, so Isaiah is seeing Jesus in his glorious state, seated in heaven before he entered into human history. And the first thing that Isaiah is convicted of, for those of you who know the story, what is it? It's his mouth. And what he says is, woe to me. And that's a curse. He's like, I'm a dead man. And he says, cause I'm a man with unclean lips. And he says, furthermore, I come from a people of unclean lips. When he gets into the presence of God and he hears the speech of angels, he is now evaluating his own words, realizing that he is a dead man. And that a lot of his sin has come from his words and a lot of his sin uh, is a multi-generational problem in his family. When he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips, I don't, you know, don't shout it out loud, but how many of you, your dad, not so good with his words. Bad nicknames, cursing, yelling, threatening, screaming, berating, dominating, domineering, fearful, scared, excuse-making, blame-shifting, never owning. How many of you, your grandpa was like that? How many of you, it goes for generations? That's what Isaiah senses. I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a legacy of men with unclean lips. And he notices it and he is aware of it. And then here's what happens. Uh, God sends an angel with a hot coal and literally atones and redeems his tongue, his mouth, his lips. And he goes from being one who is saying things that are against God to one who preaches the truth for God. And the point is we've got to acknowledge, and let me just say this, if you think it's funny that I'm teaching this message, it's because I'm the most guilty probably in the whole room of saying things I should not have said or saying things in ways that were not most beneficial. And so I'm not saying that this is something that I have nailed and I'm here to give you the lesson on how to be like me. We're all in it together. And we've all said things that we regret and not said things that should have been said. That's the story of Isaiah. Let me close with the last point. Our words do one of two things. They uh, beat people down or they build them up. And here at uh, Real Men, we say that this is a world that beats men down and we wanna build men up to bless women and children. So our goal with our words, my words, your words around the table, for those who are joining us online with men's group all over the nation and the world, and you guys are meeting all over the place, the goal is to use our words not to beat one another down, but to build one another up. And I'll give you two scriptures, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. How many of you have seen this? How many of you grew up in a home where your dad's words brought life and some of you, your dad's words brought death? Sometimes some of you can remember moments in your life 
where dad said something and it felt like he shot you in the soul. You're just like, I, 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 you still remember that. And sometimes this can be mockery. This can be literally discouraging you, building um, resentment or bitterness. This can be beating you down. And sometimes men do this with uh, names and nicknames. I was thinking about this. Um, I'll save that and I'll get into it in a moment. Let me hit one more scripture and then conclude with a thought. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. <laughs> Just imagine if anyone on the internet tried to obey that, it would be such a better place. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Some translations say that the words that you speak would help build other people up. And what this is, this is other person-centered communication. It's not, this is what I think, this is what I feel, this is where I'm at, this is what I need, this is what I want. Instead it's, okay, what do you think? What do you feel? What do you want? What do you need? How do I not unleash on you, but consider you and then strengthen you, forgive you and build you up? Some of you men, um, you could see profound changes in your marriage and family with words like, I'm sorry, I should have never done that. I should have never said that. That was wrong. There's no excuse. It's not your fault, it's mine. Um, please forgive me. Um, I'm not going to defend myself. There's no excuse. Those are words that strengthen a relationship and build trust. Other words like, I forgive you. I'm never gonna bring that up again. I'm not gonna hold that over your head. I'm not gonna punish you for that. You know, Jesus died for that and we're gonna let that go. Tremendous good can happen when the tongue is utilized to build up rather than beat down. And so I was thinking about this and this is my closing point. In Genesis, when God decided to create everything out of nothing, he did so by speaking. In the beginning, God said, Hebrews 11 says, everything that is seen was made by the power of the word of God. And so there's power in God's words and there is not the same level, but there is also power in our words. And God could have chosen any way to bring life into existence and creation out of nothing, but instead he chose to speak it. It shows you the power of speaking. Um, and then God made man in his image and likeness but God made the man and he made our first father and he made the man to listen and to speak. So God speaks to Adam like a father speaking to a son. And then he tells the son that he needs to speak, right? Silence, speaking, silence, speaking. Hear from your father, say what he says. And then God tells Adam, I'm going to bring before you the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and you're going to name them. And what he says is, whatever you name them sets for them an identity that becomes their identity and you name them. And I'll say this, men, you and I are the father's sons. Sadly, we're also Adam's sons, but the words that we speak set an identity for those who hear. So what Adam does, he names his wife, woman. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. He names his wife and it's an affectionate name. We tend to give names and nicknames to the people that we love and we hate the most. 
All your enemies, they probably have a nickname. And the people you love probably have a nickname as well. The guy who gutted you in business, he's got one name. And your grandkid, they've got another one. I've got a nickname for my wife. I call her beauty and best friend. When my boys were little, I would always call them uh, buddy, buddy Zach, buddy Calvin, buddy Gideon. And I just let them know, you guys are my buddies. I am your dad, but I also love you. I like hanging out with you. I like being with you. I'd always ask my sons when they were young and going to bed or doing something, I'd, I'd look at them and say, hey, who loves you? Who loves you? They'd say, my dad, except for the youngest one. This is always what happens to the baby. Uh, I'd say, hey, who loves you, little buddy? And he said, quote, everybody. That's the baby in the family. But his view was so many people had blessed him instead of cursed him. They had built him up rather than beat him down. They had spoken words of life, not death over him, that his view is everybody's for me. Everybody loves me. Everybody seeks what is good for me. And so you and I as men, we've got to really consider our words. And we can't just tell our wives and our kids, you need to toughen up. Mm, no, maybe we shouldn't say that or say it like that. We shouldn't just tell people, well, that's how I feel. Well, maybe we should talk to God about how we feel before we just let our feelings determine how we talk to them. Silence and speaking. And, um, and watch the names and the nicknames that you give people, especially your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your friends. Make sure that those are names and nicknames that build up and don't beat down. And uh, I'll close with this. Uh, some years ago, um, I resigned uh, a job. I'd been working for 18 years as a senior pastor. Um, God spoke to my wife and I. He spoke to us, we heard him, he released us, we obeyed him. But now, I don't know what to do. I'm in my mid forties. Um, I don't have a job. Uh, I, I, all I ever known is one city where Grace and I grew up and got married and raised our kids. And that's where the grandparents and all the relatives are. And I'm thinking, okay, do we move? to another state? Do we move to another country? Do we stay? Do I remain a pastor? Do I go do something else? Do my kids stay in their school? Do we pull them out of school? At this point, we got kids in elementary, middle, high school, college. Okay, do we keep the house? Do we sell the house? Like, it was like a snow globe got shook and everything went up. And I just felt a little overwhelmed, just completely overwhelmed as a, as a man. Like. Okay, everything that I was doing, I'm not doing. And what I thought was my life is now not my life. And I don't know what comes next. Like, okay, okay, God, where do you want us to live? Where do, you, where, where do the kids go to school? What do we do for a job? I was quite frankly, like Elijah. I'm like, I'm a little freaked out. I'm exhausted. I'm not doing good. I'm not sure what to do. And so I told Grace and some dear friends of mine, I was like, you know what? I just really need to hear from the Lord. Cause like, I'm not confident in what decision I'm gonna make. And I'm kind of freaked out if I'm totally honest. So I scheduled a day with the Lord and I put it on the calendar and I, I will schedule meetings with the Lord. And I carved it out on my calendar. And I told Grace and some friends, like I'm taking this whole day and I'm gonna do, I don't know what it was. It was at least 12 hours of silence. And I put in my journal, some things I just want, I was like, Lord, Help me with this. God, tell me what to do here. God, help me figure this out. 
And I just, over the course of about a week or two, getting ready to meet with the Lord, I was journaling out all the, I was like, God, I don't know. You got to help me here. Tell, tell me what you want me to do. And then I fasted and I prayed and I spent 12 hours in solitude in this small little town called Waterville. It's in Eastern Washington. It's kind of a abandoned town. It's down to like little grocery store and a couple of restaurants and everything is kind of closed and shut down. It's this quiet middle of nowhere. You can walk around town and there's nobody there. You can go out into the wheat fields. It's just a good place to get solitude. And I just listened all day. And when I felt like the Lord was saying something, I would stop and oftentimes you know, try to find a place to sit down, park bench or whatever. And then I would pull out my journal and I would just write down what I felt like the Lord was saying to me or what I was hearing through listening prayer, or what impressions he was giving me or what new ideas I had. By the end of the day, God didn't answer every single one of those questions, but he answered most of them. And now that I've heard from the Lord, now I can go speak to my family. So I go home, Grace greets me. She's like, how was your day with the Lord? Uh, I said, well, it was good. And, here's what I, and I walked her through it, honey. I believe this is what the Lord said to me. And I wanna run it by her because we're one and we need to have agreement. And then I called a family meeting and I told the kids, okay, here's what I believe God is saying. You guys get to finish your school year. We'll move at this time. Oldest daughter, you get to graduate with your class. You boys get to stay on your baseball team, finish out your season. God's gonna move us. We're gonna have to get a new home. Um, here's what I think the future holds. And I laid out what I heard or I thought I heard from the Lord and God speaking. And sometimes we can interpret wrong. Just like on a phone call, somebody can say something and somehow you don't interpret it right. Just because God says something doesn't mean we've heard it right. So I wanted to make sure I'd heard it right. So I told the family and uh, my kids, some of my kids started crying. They're like, dad, thank you so much. We were praying that we could graduate with our class and whatever it was, six months or whatever, but we didn't wanna put any pressure on you. Thanks, Dad. We really wanted to finish the baseball season with our team before we moved and pivoted, but we didn't want to say that because we didn't want to pressure you. So here's what's amazing. My kids were telling the Lord what was on their heart. And then I was asking the Lord what I should do. And then the Lord told me what the kids asked him. And then we had an agreement. And then that allowed our family to go through the most difficult season of our entire life. And it wasn't easy but we remained together because we were all hearing from the Lord and we were all talking to each other. And uh, that was, um, gosh, over seven years ago now. And our family is still together. And even the things, I went back to that journal and I'll get to journaling in a future talk. Even the things that God spoke to me that I didn't even know what they meant at the time, they've happened. And everything God told me was part of his divine plan. And we're just walking it out according to what he has spoken to us. And I don't know how the Lord will speak to you. I don't know when the Lord will speak to you, but here's what I do know. You need the Lord to speak to you and you gotta get silent and you gotta listen. And then once he's spoken to you, then you know what to say and you know what to do. I'll leave you some time for groups. Uh, what was your biggest personal takeaway from the talk? Anybody at the table have a practical silence or solitude tip to share? If you're kind of good at this, not in a boasting way, but just in a practical way, this is what helps. Who has most blessed you and built you up with their words? When you think of somebody in your life, you're like, man, when they speak, they speak life into me. Who has that been? And then how can we pray for you? Father, I pray for the discussions around the tables that God, uh, men who usually um, don't speak would speak and men who speak too much would listen. 
And God, you've given us two ears and one mouth, probably because we need to listen twice as much as we speak, starting with me. And Lord, thank you that you're a father who speaks to his sons. And we ask that we would hear and obey you in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Mark here saying thanks for joining me for this special series of talks at Real Men. Uh, if there's anything we can be praying for, any questions you have, send it to hello at realfaith.com. And if you've got a complaint because you're triggered and offended, please send that as well to hello at realfaith.com. We have got a team standing by to delete your comment immediately.